As we come to our scripture reading this morning, uh, we'll be finishing up the Ten Commandments. Um, we're in, I mean, just the sermon series, we've got to keep, you know, keeping them. <laughs> right? but, but we'll be looking at uh, eight and nine to close up this series. And so I invite you to listen carefully, listen well. Exodus chapter 20, verses 15 and 16. Hear now the word of the Lord. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. We thank you, O God, that you are a God who speaks. We thank you that when you speak, things come into being. That you created the world and everything in it uh, by that word which proceeded forth from your mouth. Who in due time uh, took on flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, uh, that you, the word, made flesh both speaks to us through the words of your scripture and also um, in the midst of our body through the power of your spirit. And so we pray that you would come now and be with us, um, be the center of our lives, be the center of this gathering, be first in all things that we might hear from you and so find in you true life. We ask that your will would be done now as we turn to your word, open our hearts and ears that we might hear and empower us that we might live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I spent the week, Monday through Thursday last week, in, in Roan Mountain, Tennessee, on a retreat. This is the sixth year I've been able to gather with six or seven other pastors. And we get together, and in the mornings we wake up and we come and we eat a big breakfast. And then we worship and we have time of prayer. Then we go off to read for a couple hours. We come back together to discuss for a couple hours. And then we eat a big lunch. And then after that, we go and we read for a while and take a walk, exercise, come back together, discuss for two hours, eat a big supper, <laughs> after which we have some uh, time together for conversation. And we close off each evening with worship and prayer together. And so we prayed for you guys this week. And uh, it was good. During the course of our time, we were able to read. All this reading revolved this year around book two of Calvin's Institutes, which have to do with God the Redeemer. We read the whole second section. Um, anybody who know, know who the Redeemer is? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, not a trick question. <laughs> yep. And so uh, Calvin does a, an amazing job working out for us, um, this conversation about the, the Redeemer, Jesus, who's our mediator. And he begins with our great need, with our sinfulness. And he shows us how, um, how infected we are in just every aspect of life, uh, revealing our great need for a Savior. And, and in the course of that, he moves into this section on the Ten Commandments of all things. And so that was really good for me to read 
through what Calvin had to say on the commandments. Uh, Eventually, this leads us, of course, to Jesus, uh, who is the one mediator between God and man, uh, as Hebrews sets forth for us, and it was, it was helpful. In the course of our time, another uh, pastor, a friend of mine, Blake, uh, shared a quote from, or maybe it was a paraphrase, from one of his teachers at Duke Divinity School in a class that he took on Calvin. And I thought that it was, I mean, it, it distills all of this into like a sentence that we've been talking about. So I'm going to sort of leave that with you. Um, today. It goes like this. Um, Calvin calls us, the scriptures call us, God calls us, to relate to God as God. And to relate to everything else as it is related to God. I'll say that again. At the end, we're all going to try to say it. So see if you can start to hold it down in your mind. So relate to God as God and relate to everything else as it is related to God. And if you do that, pretty well you're keeping the commandments because the first table, one through four, is about loving God, your relationship to God as God. And the last six are about your relationship to your neighbor. And we want to relate to our neighbor as our neighbor is related as well to God. Created, loved, redeemed by God. And so if you can remember that line, you sort of have a way into the Christian life, into the commandments, into what we're seeking after, to relate to God as God. That's what worship's about this morning. And to relate to everything else as it is related to God. Um, So, there's one little line that leads us in. We've also been talking about broadening the commandment into a category, internalizing it because it's not just about outward action and keeping rules, but it's about the inner motivations of our hearts. And then it's about reversing the commandments because most of them come up to us, as today's do, in the negative. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor or lie. So if we don't steal, what do we do positively? And then, um, after we broaden, internalize, reverse, we've also talked about how the first commandment is explained and filled in by 2 through 10. We've looked at number 10, thou shalt not covet, and seen that if we uh, don't covet our neighbor's possessions or things that rightfully belong to God, we can keep the first nine. We've looked even at the two tables, loving God, loving neighbor, and seen that number four, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, provides a negative space wherein we are positively able to love God, uh, worship Him rightly, uh, not making false images, and rather than profaning the name of the Lord, praising the name of the Lord. We've looked at the sixth commandment as sort of a holding place that contains all the rest of our relating to neighbor. So do not kill. We don't do that. We can keep the rest of them. And honor your father and mother sort of breaks both ways. You remember that framework too. So we've come at this from a lot of different angles. And what I want to do this morning is to, is to just, let's, let's practice once more. Because we haven't done this every time. Broaden, internalize, and reverse these two commandments that we're closing with. Shall not steal, shall not lie. And then, after we work through that, I want us at the very end 
to, to take one more step back and say, from a big picture point of view, we've gone through the commandments. Now, how does that impact not just a sermon series we did at church one time, but like how can we continue to live into this, move into this? What effect does it have in your life and in mine? Uh, so first, let's look at, at stealing. Uh, you should not steal, says the Lord your God. When I, when I think of that, I think maybe of, of Lily, who came out from Dollar General with something that <laughs> had not passed through the cash register. <laughs> Uh, right? I, I, got, I mentioned that, and several people told me this morning how they had done that when they were a kid, and they remember how to take it back, you know. Uh, so I, I think of that. I think of maybe, um, I tend to think of material things. Don't steal. Don't go to the store and take something that doesn't belong to you. Don't go to somebody's house take something that doesn't belong to you. It's a, it, I primarily approach that by way of things. Don't reach in somebody's wallet and take the $20 out and try to take it for myself, that which doesn't belong to me. But I think as we begin to broaden this command into a category, is God just concerned with us not taking someone else's stuff? Obviously that's wrong, but is there more to life than stuff? Absolutely. So we can also think about, would it be possible to try to steal someone else's joy? Or steal someone else's hope? Or to take from someone else an opportunity? Or to, to take someone else's energy? To drain it? That's how we talk about taking another's energy. We drain them of their energy. We take that away. We can take relationship. All kinds of things, right? That can be stolen as we broaden that narrow command into something that speaks to more about life than possessions. And that offers me an opportunity to maybe go just a little deeper with this command. Of course, I also need to internalize it. Because I'm not too terribly tempted, um, you know, to uh, sneak into Ina's office during the week and take her money out of her, you know, purse or whatever and run off with it. That's not really a temptation for me. Um, so I, I, for me, it's more the, how do I take life from other people? And then I need to understand, okay, well, what's going on with that? What, what's at the root of that? What, what is underneath that? And I think what we'll find, because you, you might say, I don't really have a problem with stealing. But actually, if you go to the beginning of this story, You'll notice that, what did Adam and Eve do? They literally stole from God. That was, that was the first, you know, and Calvin in particular is pretty good about how, okay, we all identify in ourselves this proclivity um, to sin. And he calls that original sin and says this has been passed, this has been passed down. This, when that happened with Adam and Eve, it's, it's kind of touched the whole human race, right? And so at the very root of some of this is a desire to steal, to take. And what's at the core of that? When I take from other people, when I take uh, energy or relationship or opportunity for myself, it basically is this common problem of trying to place ourselves in God's position so that the world revolves around us and is at our disposal 
rather than the world belonging to God, including everyone else and everything in it, and my job is to relate to God as God and everything else as it is related to God. I think we can all find in ourselves as we begin to look that we all steal in some fashion. And at the core of that is a mistrust. It's a selfishness, yes, but it's also a mistrust that our lives are going to be provided for by God. It's not trusting that God will provide what we need. It's saying, actually, God, you've given me the entire garden. But the one thing I think I need is the one thing you haven't given. It's mistrust. So we've got the broad category that touches more than just things. And we've internalized this and we're beginning to recognize, okay, Adam and Eve, well, we got the same problem. Um, but then let's reverse it. What will be the opposite of stealing from God or others? It will be giving. It will be if, if taking the life from, of other people um, is the problem, working to pour into other people's lives is kind of the opposite. And of course, in every respect, if we want to see what this looks like, we look at Jesus. Because Jesus embodies for us one who keeps the commandments. And Jesus, as I've, I, you know, this is just a really basic aspect of the gospel. Philippians 2, rather than reaching and taking, though he had a quality with God, he didn't count as something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of a servant, and was obedient to the point of death, pouring his life out for others. So the opposite of making ourselves God, making the world revolve around me, is to, like Christ now, pour my life out for the people around me. And yes, sometimes that feels like death. But Jesus shows us it's actually the true source of life. Because what Jesus is doing is showing us actually what the what the life of God looks like. The inner life of God is what is being revealed here. And so we confess that God is, is one and three. And the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit um, relate to one another as God. And that means that there's a mutual self-giving, a mutual making room for the other. It's love. That's what love does. And so you can start with this commandment of not stealing, and suddenly it goes to the very core of our sinfulness as human beings. And we can see the opposite of that revealed in Jesus in a life poured out, which reveals to us the life of God. I mean, it's all like the whole thing is here in this one command, thou shalt not steal. Maybe there's more there than we thought. It was true for me. This is part of what you can look up here and see, though, isn't it? Uh, we're seeking the life and the good of children that we won't see, probably. Uh, we're seeking to give away to those who struggle with hunger presently, right? Five cents a meal. Uh, this is a core aspect of our life. It's why worship's important. It's why we need each other, because we are kind of being trained um, to give our lives away. And of course, we're not, perhaps we're not where Adam and Eve were, and, and we're probably not where Christ is in our, in our uh, living this out. 
But that's why we need each other. We need this body around us who when we actually take from one another and I drain uh, Ina's energy rather than helping uh, boost her up during a given week. And she, yeah, she's like, oh, yes. <clears throat> when, I, when I do that, I have someone who's, who will forgive me and where that relationship can be restored and we can move forward together. And that has to happen 70 times 7 most days. But what about lying? Should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Um, as we expand this into a, a category, uh, to lie is to, is to bend the truth, to distort the truth. Um, you know, the devil himself is called the father of lies. Again, you can take this all the way back to the garden, right? Um, and if the devil's the father of lies, it's really interesting to see that, you know, I might say that, um, you know, this, this is green right here. Well, yeah, that's a true statement. But is the truth more than that? Yeah. If we trace out what truth is all the way to its um, highest point, we discover that truth isn't just factual statements. But truth is a person. If you've thought about that before. Truth is actually a person. Who's the person? Jesus. It's, yeah, it's always the answer. Louis uh, <laughs> trying to figure out when do I say God and when do I say Jesus. So the interrelations of the Trinity are also still yet a mystery to all of us. Yeah, so um, Jesus is the truth. In other words, Jesus is reality. To lie is to live against reality, which is to live against Jesus. You know, it's ironic that, you know, in the last days of Christ's life, he comes and stands before Pontius Pilate, who was the judge, right, in this trial that Jesus received. Pilate was the judge, ironically enough, because Jesus is the true judge, but Pilate's judging, and he's supposed to judge what is true. And Pilate asked this question to Jesus, the truth. He says, what is truth? And in many ways, our world asks the same question. I mean, it's one of the principles of postmodernism that truth is relative. Truth is only like I have my truth and you have your truth and, and we have all these little truths, but there's no like greater truth um, to which we say, well, Jesus is the truth. And it's Pilate asked Jesus, the truth himself, what's truth? And Jesus, do you remember what he said? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. Because he was the truth. It was him. There was no sentence that he needed to add to that. It was Jesus. And so to, to bear false witness, to, to go to lies, to, is to work, is to live against the truth who is Christ our Lord. And so we can broaden that. Uh, lying is more than just, you know, deciding I'm just going to really tell everyone this is actually pink and sticking to it, right? It's more than that. It's living against reality. But then as I think about that broader category, I can internalize that and I can say, well, when is it, Michael, that you tend to lie? When is it that you tend to distort or bend the truth? And it almost always has to do with me. And so when I'm telling a, a good story about myself that I really accomplished something significant or really, you know, relaying my, uh, my glory days of 
sports or something. Like, I'll make that story maybe just a little bit better than it was. <laughs> yeah. And so I, it's like the, what was true was not good enough that I had to make it more, even more glorious. I had to lift myself up so that I could be even better and even better. And I, I did the same thing in the opposite direction. You know, if, if Leslie and I have had a fuss or something, and, and it's now time for me to apologize and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have. You know, when I do that, odds are I, 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 I'm willing to, to say, you know, I'm sorry. But then if I'm restating the thing that I did wrong, I'll kind of minimize it. I don't tell the, the truth about it. I make it not quite so bad. So I want to make the good of me way better than it is, and I want to make the bad of me not, it's not, not so awful. Right? Does it, can anybody relate to that? I don't know. Yeah. So we can also agree that, you know, we, we all lie in some way. We all live against the truth of Jesus Christ. Um, but to reverse that is to what? Tell the truth. To be honest. Um, there's a, there's a, a guy named Jordan Peterson who sort of became this kind of cultural uh, flashpoint maybe five years ago. He wrote a book, I think it was called 12 Rules for Life. He's a uh, psychologist, Canadian fellow. And uh, he has sort of touched on something in society, particularly with young men um, who don't have a real strong sense of meaning and purpose in life. And that's been problematic because uh, you don't have meaning then well, things kind of devolve rapidly. And he's got this little clip that I've seen before. And basically, he's just saying, he's very animated about it. Start telling the truth. He says, tell the truth for a whole year. The whole year. Do not lie. Tell the truth and see what begins to happen in your life. Tell the truth to yourself. Tell the truth to your friends and your family, those around you. Live by the truth. Tell the truth. And I don't think he realizes what he's saying because he's really saying, live by Christ. Live by Jesus, who is the truth. Do that for a whole year. Do that for your life. See what happens. See what changes. Live by the truth. Um, so it's not just don't lie, but there's so much positive that we're invited into now. So broaden, internalize, reverse. You can do a whole lot as you think about the Bible in this way, not just the commandments, but as you're reading, I just want this, you know, you've learned these gestures by now. I kept doing them for a reason because I want you to remember them and maybe take them with you um, as we move forward together into a new year. Tell the truth. Um, we were laughing this week. We're kind of giving one of our friends a hard time because, you know, he's a preacher. Saturday nights, thinking about Sunday morning, thinking about preaching. He told us that, uh, that his wife, one Saturday evening, as they were getting ready for bed, dropped this on him before Sunday morning, said, Hey, um, you ever thought about taking any preaching classes? 
real confidence booster, right? Before he's just getting ready to go preach this sermon. He's like, oh, here I need some preaching classes. You know, I mean, I guess it's a slightly better than Sunday afternoon, right? <laughs> yeah. And so for, for, for Christians, we, we live by the truth, but the scriptures tell us to speak the truth in love, right? This is not an excuse just to be mean to people, right? We speak the truth in love. Again, every encounter Jesus has in the Gospels, you can see him doing that. Speaking the truth in love. And that kind of helps me as we take this step back from the commandments and try to, not just these two, but look at the whole thing in general. Uh, Let's think about John Calvin's three uses of the law. I started with this months ago. The commandments have three ways that they're useful to us, that they make a difference in our life. The first is they convict us of sin. I think everybody now is, at least with these two, nodded, okay, stealing and lying, like, okay, I'm implicated here. We can take that back to Adam and Eve and everyone since. Okay, we, we, we recognize that we are sinful, which also drives us to the one who can do something about it. The recognition of sin is not to just beat us down, it's to make us raise our eyes up to Christ on the cross who washes us clean. The commandments bring us to Jesus. The second use of the law is that they also minimize sin. They restrain it. They might not completely do away with it, but they hopefully kind of tamper down upon it just a bit. If you see 55, you might go 65, but you're probably not going 85 in that space, right? It at least, it holds it back some. But then the third use of the law is this this aspect of the law which shows us the way forward. It is a good and a blessing to know how did God make reality? And how can we live in cooperation with what God's doing in the world? Now, these uses of the law can be highlighted when we look at how different Christians worship. Lutherans. When Lutherans come together for worship, before the prayer of confession, do you know what they do? Often, not always. They read the Ten Commandments out loud. Before the prayer of confession. That's the first use of the law. It's meant to convict us of our sin so that we can go to the one who can do something about it. You see how that works? You say, oh yeah, I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This leads me into confession and to Christ. Reformed churches have historically in their liturgy, in the order of worship, have put the reading of the commandments after the assurance of pardon. Because they are now meant, after we've been forgiven, after we've confessed, after, 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 now the commandments lead us in the way of life. Do you remember uh, in, in the prayer that you read this morning and prayed this morning? Direct what we shall be, right? Forgive what we were, amend what we are, direct what we shall be so that we may walk in your way um, and be directed by your will. The commandments help us in that. It's this positive use. It's a grace that is given to us. I want us to, even though we're done with this series on the commandments, I want them to continue to direct us forward, move us forward into life. 
so that we become, well, what God was calling Israel to be and calling us to be, a kingdom of priests. You know, God didn't give the commandments first and then say, hey, if you keep these, then I'll set you free from slavery to Pharaoh. And then if you keep these, then I'll feed you manna in the wilderness. No, he set them free. He brought them through baptism in the parted waters. He fed them in the wilderness. All of this because he loves them. He's their God. They're his people. And now he brings them in his gracious love to the mountain and says, okay, now that I've done all this for you, here's how you are called to live. And same for us. As we move forward, having received baptism, having been uh, shared with Christ body, the bread that comes down from heaven at the table. Now God's showing us how to live and live together so that we may relate to God as God and relate to everything else in its relation to God. So that in all things, Christ becomes our great mediator, the one who is the truth, the one who pours his life out for us, the one in whose image we were made and now in whose likeness God is empowering us to grow. In the name of the Father and the Son. In the Holy Spirit. Amen.